Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound on. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. President Trump promises to talk on trade with the Chinese after China defers defers a tariff response. The latest on the U.S.-China economic front. Plus, President Trump canceling his Poland trip as a hurricane threatens Florida as well. We'll dive into the policy behind this and the politics, and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell tells the Supreme Court not to be, quote, cowed, end quote, by Democrats on guns. The latest as well from the 2020 presidential campaign trail, all-star panel to navigate through the headlines, the policy, the politics, Joel Payne, Democratic strategist, former director of African-American media outreach for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign, Pedro DaCosta, director of communications at the Economic Policy Institute. President Trump said Thursday that the U.S. and China are scheduled to have a conversation about trade today, but he gave no details on what precisely they're going to talk about. He was asked in a Fox News radio interview whether or not the talks are planned in September with the Chinese, whether or not those talks are still on. And he said, quote, there is a talk scheduled for today at a different level, end quote. Remember over the weekend, there was all this back and forth when he was at the G7 in France about whether or not they had a conversation on the phone or not. Anyway, President Trump said that they're talking with the Chinese today about trade and Wall Street liked it. U.S. equities rallied Thursday after China indicated it would not immediately retaliate against the latest American tariff increase. Remember, those tariffs are set to increase on uh, a first round of tariff increase on September 1st. And then we've got the other tariffs coming into effect in mid-December. Sarah McGregor's on the line. Sarah McGregor ditched us in Washington to, to move out to sunny L.A. She's the Bloomberg News senior trade editor. Sarah, with this latest headlines, the market saw optimism. Are you optimistic? Uh, I do think maybe the markets are sort of clinging to any shred of positive news at, at the moment. <laughs> um, like you said, you know, just on the weekend, Trump said, oh, we spoke to the Chinese. It looks like we're going to make proce- uh, progress on the talks. And the Chinese were, were sort of like, what What are you talking about? We we don't know who you spoke to exactly. <laughs> um, so, it's like a game you know, of telephone tag. Go ahead. Uh, y- absolutely. 
Um, maybe they left a voicemail. We don't know. But, um, you know, I think it's sort of um, today, you know, even if there was a conversation that, that took place, we don't know if it was at the highest levels, which, of course, is what's the only thing that's going to move the ball forward at this moment. And beyond that, we often don't get readouts from these calls. So if one did take place, we haven't heard yet. Um, and they're certainly not going to probably t- give us a full readout of that call. But that being said, you know, even if they speak at this point, the fact of the matter is Sunday right at midnight, um, these new tariffs are going to take effect, t- 15% tariffs on $110 billion of additional Chinese goods. And that's an escalation. That's a major escalation of the trade war. China wants no tariffs. It wants all the tariffs removed that were put in place since the start of the trade war. So it's certainly not going to be happy. And it's just, it's so hard to imagine right now what the two sides even have to talk about, where they even begin to start to agree. Happy Labor Day for you, folks. Those tariffs set to increase. All right, play this forward for us. Sarah McGregor, Bloomberg News Senior Trade Editor, joining us from the Los Angeles studio of Bloomberg. Play this forward for us. Come lawmakers returning in September. Is there an incentive for the president with the with the recession looming, or potential recession or economic slowdown? And we'll talk GDP numbers coming up with Pedro da Costa, who's here. But with the with the economic uh, horizon and picture painted as it is what it is, is there pressure on President Trump this fall to get to a safe face deal with President Xi Jinping of China? I think there's probably pressure for Trump to do whatever it takes to, like you said, keep the economy going. That's obviously, you know, the top concern for everyone. When a couple of weeks ago, everyone started sort of banding about the word recession. Is there a recession on the horizon? Um, you know, I think that scared the bejesus out of everyone thinking, my God, we've had this 10 year expansion. And when could it end? And could the trade war actually be the thing that tips us over the edge? And so for Republicans, you know, heading into an election year, they're certainly going to want to be able to um, campaign as a Republican Party on, on a strong economic record. And I think the trade war, you know, getting a deal with China and going hard on them is is one thing. But will they actually sort of elevate beyond that a strong economy, jobs, 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 and just, um, you know, the ability for people like farmers to have a market to sell their goods? And and President Trump has, has spoken in, in recent days about the ethanol markets, about uh, agriculture as well. How has that played into all of this, Sarah McGregor? Well, we saw even today Trump was speaking about the farmers and talking about how much aid he's given them and saying, of course, you know, they don't want handouts, but during difficult times, you know, it's going to be him to to support them. I think really this latest round of, of, of tariffs really sort of made farmers throw their hands up in the air. They came out with some some terse statements. You know, the retaliation that China may or may not do come these September 1st tariffs. Uh, you know, of course, it hits m- more soybeans, more pork, you know, agricultural goods, and they know what they, they're doing. They know that this hurts Trump politically. It's not only, a, you know, an important part of the economy, it hurts him politically in those Republican states. And so that's, you know, they just keep sort of turning the screws on that. And um, you wonder how much more farming groups and agricultural groups will, um, you know, sort of put up with it. All right, Sarah McGregor, we're going to leave the how's how's Los Angeles? It is sunny. I'm sorry to say it's sunny and it's go, you know, it's not humid like DC. You know, that's what you want to hear when you ask one of your friends and colleagues who moves to to the West Coast. How is it out there? It's sunny. 
You know, it's it's uh, you know I'm from Philly, and let me tell you something, Sarah McGregor. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. I want to thank Sarah McGregor. She, of course, is Bloomberg News trade reporter. She joins us to break down all of the latest trade developments coming up. Second quarter GDP growth revised down. Pedro DaCosta helps us crunch the numbers, plus the latest from Joel Payne, Democratic strategist, on the 2020 campaign trail and the rally, the roster for the third. Democratic presidential debate. You can download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Now he's feeling pressure, an economy that's teetering on recession. He inherited a pretty good economy from the president and me. Former Vice President Joe Biden speaking on the campaign trail earlier today, criticizing President Trump, saying that uh, this is previously after he had said he wouldn't talk about President Trump uh, while he was at the G7 summit. So I apologize. That was on Wednesday afternoon where former Vice President Joe Biden uh, said that while out on the campaign trail. Joining us to talk all things 2020, two political all-stars, Joel Payne, Democratic strategist, former director of African-American media outreach for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign, and Pedro DaCosta, director of communications at the Economic Policy Institute. There's been a lot of talk today, Joel, about the third Democratic presidential debate. That's what I want to focus on. Biden had some... had had this to say about it. Take a listen to Biden about the Democratic debate. It makes it hard to have a debate when you have so many people. So Joe Biden is glad, is glad that there is not go- that there are not going to be as many people. And just to catch everybody up to speed, only 10 Democrats will be at next month's 2020 presidential primary debate for the Democrats. ABC News on Thursday unveiled the lineup. I'll just quickly read the names, Joel, and then I'll get you, I'll get your response. Klobuchar, Booker, Buttigieg, Sanders, Biden, Warren, Kamala Harris, Andrew Yang, Beto O'Rourke, and Castro. Should folks be disappointed that 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 the that, that only ten are getting on stage? Everybody wants to be disappointed about everything. They'd be mad if it was over two nights. They'd be mad if it was 20 people, 15 people. Listen, the DNC um, wanted to set it up this way because they wanted to make sure that nobody thought that it was a fixed process. Like some people thought after the 2016 race between Clinton and Sanders. So there's a very important reason why it's been such a tedious, painful process to winnow this field down. That said, I think they've done a good job. Now, just talking about the politics of it, I actually think Joe Biden – will go to school on Donald Trump in 2015 and 16. And here's why. What Trump did during those debates, if you'll remember, is just tread water. Just hang around. I don't think Joe Biden needs to land any blows. He just needs to demonstrate that he can stand on the field. He is the only the only way that Joe Biden loses is by self-inflicted wounds. It's not going to be because anyone else is landing a blow on him. I think we've seen a couple people land on blows on him, and it hasn't stuck. 
primary voters are telling you that only Joe Biden can take himself down. And I think the Biden campaign is going to go to school on Donald Trump four years ago and do what he did as the front runner around this time in the race. Pedro DaCosta, do you think that Biden's going to take a page out of Donald Trump's political playbook? You know, it's hard to say. I think one of the difficult things, one of the difficult things about the large scale uh, debates that we've been having is that a lot of the important issues get uh, ducked, you know. And so for us at the Economic Policy Institute, the economy was basically not really, you know, us at Bloomberg. I mean, literally, yeah, the, exactly. la- the first two Democratic presidential debates, there was virtually there was not a lot of talk about I'm not criticizing anyone, but there was not a lot of talk about foreign policy nor about in the weeds of, of economics and, and, and especially on trade policy. And we were just talking earlier with Sarah McGregor out in L.A. and our Bloomberg L.A. bureau about the developments on trade policy and how the president had that conversation reportedly today with the Chinese. You know, Biden's center stage, he's going to be he's going to have Elizabeth Warren on one side, he's going to have Bernie Sanders on the next. For us economic dorks, he's surrounded by tariffs. Well, that's right. And I think Biden is is going to face a difficult problem, which is to have an alternate economic message for voters who continue to be disaffected by an economy that, while strong in headline numbers, is still kind of weak as far as wage growth and as far as improvement in living standards. So I think Biden's going to have to bring up those issues and he's going to have to go up against uh, progressives who might have, you know, a different view on trade and might paint him as a, a sort of free trader who, who, who penned the deals himself, if you will. So I think Democrats actually have talked about the economy, just not in the ways that maybe we kind of traditionally think about it. Are they talking about GDP growth? Are they talking about things that are very in the weeds that folks like the people around this table right now would be interested in? No, but it's also very early in the debate cycle. Right. This is really just to engage voters and start to, you know, if you kind of think about this in terms of like the season, we're not even through the first quarter of the NFL season yet. I mean, you don't, you don't even know. I season football. It's not even. I got to be candid with you. I can't even get excited about it. I love my Philly Eagles, but I cannot get excited about preseason if football. If this were the NFL season, we're not even through September yet. And so it's very, very early to really dig down deep. That said, as the field winnows down, I think you'll start to get more specificity. Right, speaking, and I think it'll be easier to talk about. Speaking of the field winnowing down, Beto O'Rourke is disappointed that that the field, I guess, is winnowing down. Take a listen to what Beto O'Rourke had to say about Kirsten Gillibrand after she dropped out of the race the other day. The goal should be to have as many voices and perspectives uh, in, in those debates, to have a true competition of ideas for the future of this country. I, you, you're, go ahead, Joel. No, he's not. How do I say the former congressman is being untruthful without calling him a liar? <laughs> he's, he's, he's not. I think he's demurring there. Look, I, I understand what he's trying to say in terms of appealing to like the Gillibrand and Hill, Hickenlooper you know, staff and supporters who he hopes to coalesce onto they his They all side. have enough staff. Right. They need votes. They right. got to get the double but, digits but, in the polls. But the reason why Beto That's O'Rourke you, is you struggling. You know how you get talent? You win. Beto O'Rourke is struggling in this race right now because there are too many people in the race. Better, because, uh, there's 20, because there's 20, 25 people. This was an eight-person field. I think you'd see a better showing from people like O'Rourke. Klobuchar, you know, the Andrew Yang's hanging around and the Castro's hanging around. Those are one and two or three percentage points that could go to folks like that. So but it's a bigger not, field disadvantage. You know, but let me let me reset here. I'm, uh, Joel Payne's here, Democratic strategist. Pedro DaCosta is here, the legendary. He's at the uh, a previ- he's previously at the Wall Street Journal. He's a business insider columnist now. I mean, he's everywhere. 
Uh, and of course, he's communications director at the Economic Policy Institute. When I look at the numbers, though, especially in the latest Quinnipiac poll that came out earlier this week, there's this this anxiety gripping the American electorate about looming potential slowdown worries. And more Americans now believe there's an increasing number of Americans believe that the economy is headed to some type of slowdown. I want to dig deeper into these numbers to see if that's partisan. If Democrats think the economy will go into recession and Republicans don't and vice versa, we don't have that those specific numbers. But to Joel's point, as you start to look at some of these numbers, it's hard to see this as anything but a three-way race between Biden, Sanders, and Warren. Would I, you agree? I mean, so I'm not going to make political predictions, but I yeah. think, you know, as Analysis. far as... Yeah, I, I think that, I think it's I think it's a very it's going to be a very narrow race very quickly, and we already have the the leading candidates kind of getting ahead of the pack, uh, and so that's and, my and my my well. curiosity to Joel Payne is whether or not people like Pete Buttigieg, people like Cory Booker and Kamala Harris can, I guess, better or can elevate themselves into the top tier for Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, and Elizabeth Warren. Here's what Senator Kamala Harris had to say uh, about the president's response to Hurricane Dorian. And we'll, we'll talk more about this coming up, but she's trying to, to elevate her, herself through, through this type of, of talk. Take a listen. I don't know. It's just something missing. He lacks the ability to have empathy or sympathy um, or concern. What, what is wrong with this person? Joel? Well, she's talking about our president there. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, and listen, at a certain point, so like but that's where not we a are right I mean, now. Granted, she has put out policy yeah. proposals. Yeah, so we're clip looking. We're, we're clip. clip. We're, we're clipping clip. stuff. We're, we're, but I'm sure there was a lot more there. I've agreed. been at those events. They're like agreed. an hour and a half. Agreed. They go through a laundry list of things. But to your point, I think it all kind of feels like background noise right now because there's 25 people talking on the Democratic side. And she side. tried. This is what's fascinating about Kamala Harris is she tried to put out a policy proposal when she was when she got that bump in the polls after the first debate. But she. Arguably, it was the policy proposal with what she was saying was Medicare for all, which the, the, the left was saying is not Medicare for all. And the centrists were saying has no no reality of getting passed that one could make the case that that is what set her back down. She hasn't polls. been able to sustain any of her momentum because it's inconsistency. That's that's really what's been the hamstring for the Harris campaign. Um, I think that. Other campaigns are going to go to school on what happened to her in that first debate. If someone else goes after Biden, they're going to have to really win the spin after debate, which Biden win won. The spin. Which which Biden won that, after Detroit. I should maybe. You know, maybe I think I think he did. All right, take right. a step back and just look at how amazing the field is, though. I mean, Democrats have. I think that. The difficult thing is there's so many amazing people that that's why the field is difficult to whittle down. I mean, such an optimist. Well, I mean, really, such a Pedro de Costa, extremely the qualified human beings. I mean, you know, and, but Maria Williamson did not. Marianne Williamson did not make that debate stage. Sure. That's, that's, all right. Coming up, we're no going to talk GDP numbers. <laughs> Enough about 2020. It's preseason football, as Joel Payne says. Coming up, we're going to talk U.S. second quarter GDP growth revisions. Plus, what's on the panel's radar? You can download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. 
join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I am joined by Joel Payne, Democratic strategist, former director of African-American media outreach for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign, and Pedro da Costa, director of communications at the Economic Policy Institute, previously with The Wall Street Journal. And now you have a column. When does your column come out? Is it weekly? Uh, it the, no, it's whenever I write it. So oh, I, whenever I, I, you I write one for Forbes and one for Market Watch. So Forbes and Market Watch, yeah. and, and, and so whenever occasionally CNN.com. So whenever you know, I have time, uh, whenever whenever you get the whim to to file, I try the luxury of being try Pedro. Pedro DeCasa, who everyone tried to keep up with when he was at when he was back in a reporter before he went to the Economic Policy Institute. All right, let's crunch the numbers because the U.S. economic growth decelerated in the second quarter by more than initially reported, suggesting President Trump's trades actions are weighing more heavily on the pace of expansion. I'm reading from Jeff Kern's report on the Bloomberg terminal. All right, so we thought that the economy was going to grow in the second quarter 2.1%. They revised it down to 2%. Why? Pretty tiny revision. Uh, so yeah. Apples know, and oranges. Yeah, it's, it's pretty uh, – the revision is, is, is kind of moot. I, I think the point is the general slowdown in the economy. Uh, I th- I'd say two things. In, in, with regards to our discussion earlier about tariffs and recession fears, there are heightened recession fears, and they come from uh, a slowdown in industrial activity that is seen as related to uh, the uncertainty generated by the trade war. So that's reflected a little bit in this slowdown. When the, you say industrial, what dig deeper. What what specific markets? Manufacturing are, data. So, you know, our, our exports in particular. In this report, one of the downward revisions came from exports. Now, the strength came from consumer spending. The worry is that consumer spending is actually a laggard when it comes to sort of the business cycle and that consumers are now getting pessimistic, as you pointed out in that, that survey that shows for the first time there's more people rating the economy as you know, heading in a negative direction than a positive one, and the fear is that that will sap the one remaining source of strength. President Trump's goal has been 3% annual growth. That, you know, that's going to be a tough number for him to get to. But in terms of Joel Payne, in terms of the, the economic uncertainty, you're a Democratic strategist. I mean, the drumbeat of headline after headline the past couple of weeks has been, and and, and not talking about the financial press, because there's still actively a debate. And by the way, according to the National Economic Survey, it's still about three or four in 10 economists that are are predicting a recession in in the first quarter of 2020. That's still still not the majority of of economists. but the drumbeat on the on the mainstream press on on the the main cable networks has been there's going to be a recession there's going to be a recession can the president do anything to win back or turn the page turn the tide of that of that type of rhetoric he has done the opposite of everything you would want to do in this position and i speak from experience here's why i worked in the majority leader's office we were actually dealing with a recovering economy when mm. i was there in 2009 10 and 11 
What we made a point to do was to always talk down. We didn't want to talk up the economy because we knew some parts of the of the uh, of some communities weren't feeling the economic um, you know upswing, so to speak, that we saw broadly happening in the economy. The president's done just the opposite. He's he's talking up the economy when he doesn't really need to. What he should probably be doing is bringing it down, bring the expectations down. Like what his Fed is doing, what Powell is trying to do by kind of I almost think, like I think he would take, take objection the air out of by balloon. saying it's his it's his Fed. I'm sorry. What 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 Chairman Powell is doing? I mean, is President actually Trump. The, President Trump wouldn't want him want you to call it his Fed because oh, he doesn't I'm sure think he Powell. That's, yeah, that yeah, was I'm my sure point. I'm sure he wouldn't. Yeah, Donald yeah. Trump doesn't isn't possessive over the Fed. But point point being, what Chairman Powell, what, what he's doing in terms of taking air out of the balloon actually is kind of what he probably should be doing right now to set every, everyone's expectations in a place where you don't have this gigantic fall off. So as a political communicator, I think the president's failed every test here. I think he and his people should be having a more realistic public dialogue about where the economy is and where it's going. So, Pedro, Take off the political implications just for a second. And if you're getting in your car on your way home from work, what is the cause? Like, what is the root cause of the potential economic slowdown? So I think the erraticness of the president, I would say, is the fundamental cause. Because if you really look at it, we were just debating about, we are talking about off the air whether tariffs are going to come on, will he or won't he, right. right? This is like one giant reality show where you have no faith in the policy continuity I get that. No, and I, and so, I hear you on that. But, but in terms of when it. you looked at 2007, for sure. example, you had a housing crisis. You had that, that one could argue was apolitical. I gotcha. mean, but when you also had the financial and the large financial institutions and capital requirements and whatnot, what is the, the, the uh, what is the, the actual indicator or the the tectonic shift that's happening for this potential slowdown absolutely so i get your question now so there's two two things so you have a corporate sector that's highly leveraged and therefore you know have corporations that have taken on a lot of debt and therefore exposed to a potential slowdown uh and those same companies are facing uncertainties brought on by continuous uh, uh trade wars with not just china but with pretty much every one of our allies. And so there's no certainty about the direction. I want to I want to bold this. I want to highlight it. I want to tweet it. I want to I want to underline this. The corporations have too much debt right now. Is that what you're saying? Corporate debt is, is corporate at a very debt high level. Is at a very high levels, level. Yeah. And and so now these these cor- these corporations, these large institutions are going to have to make some tough calls with their debt. And who is talking in American politics right now about debt? It, it, it's gone. And I think you could if you play this out and I'm not a predictor, but if you play this out, if there is an economic slowdown and the narrative is that there was too much corporate debt, you could have a resurgence of Republicans heading into 2024 talking about national debt. You already do have some Democrats saying, including former Vice President Joe Biden, saying that they, that Americans can't afford to spend what they're spending on, on a host of policy proposals versus even what the president's doing right now. Go ahead, Pedro. So I, first, though, I want to be very clear not to conflate corporate debt with national debt because we have— No, I'm not. I'm no, not. But I'm very, saying but it that's— It could happen politically, no, and that's right, my fear. Right. And that's why I mention it because we have plenty of fiscal room to do whatever we need to do. True. One of the issues is actually Trump misspent that fiscal space that we had. He—, he Blew it on, but you get the tax point that I'm for the wealthy, and we might not have a lot of. Hey, you Kevin, know. can I jump in here? So, yes. So look, I get we want to divorce the politics from this, and I'm I'm a fan of that, despite the D that's by my name. <laughs> but 
the president's behavior is a part of this. So, like, when you talk about the trade war, uncertainty in the corporate sector, like, that's not anybody else but the guy who's hanging out in the Oval Office. That, that's, not a, there, there's, that's not Jay Powell. That's, that's not a member of Congress. That's not a chair of a committee. That's the president. And so I understand the impulse to kind of divorce those factors, but you can't. That's in the Trump point. era, the president no. has, is putting his finger on the scale of the economy. And I don't even think he realizes he's doing it. That's the worst part. Well, no, and, and, and clearly, I mean, there are political implications to, to obviously uh, trade policy as well. But I, I think, you know, uh, presidents like to claim cra- uh, presidents like to claim credit when the economy is going well. And, oh, lift their hands. It's not me when it's going bad. But the truth of the matter is, I think if you get everybody in a room on both parties, they're like, you know, there's global headwinds. You look at the situation in Europe, German Chancellor Angela Merkel, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson, the Itali- Italians right now have stolen the, the top political reality show spot away from us. I mean, the Italians right now are just, it's, it's a wow. Leave it to Italy. All right, coming up, we're going to head back out on the campaign trail. Panel stage, Joel Payne, Democratic strategist, former director of African-American media outreach for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. Pedro DaCosta, director of communications at the Economic Policy Institute. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You can download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. You're almost to a three-day weekend. Almost. Almost. It's Friday Eve. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm joined by two political all-stars, Joel Payne, Democratic strategist, former director of African-American media outreach for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign, and Pedro DaCosta, director of communications at the Economic Policy Institute. Gentlemen, thank you for being here. It's time for what's become one of my favorite segments, What's on Your Radar?, what is on your radar? And this is where we empty out our notebooks. <laughs> Pedro's laughing at me. Where we, uh, where we empty out our notebooks about a story that maybe isn't getting enough attention or maybe that we weren't able to get to. Maybe Wall Street and Main Street, the street, they aren't paying attention to it as much. So I will start with you, Joel Payne. What is on your radar? So I'll go down to uh, Dixie, down to Georgia. Is that huh. Dixie? Is that Dixie? I don't know. But uh, but anyways, obviously big news um, out of the U.S. Senate this week. Uh, Johnny Isaacson, the senior senator from Georgia, yes. is resigning at the end of the year. There will be a special election to replace him next year at the same time that the other Georgia senator, David Perdue, is also up. So both seats will be up in 2020. Yeah, but Stacey Abrams is not running. Well, Stacey Abrams is not running, but this puts the Senate more in play for Democrats, potentially, than it was before. And Why isn't she running, though? Well, I think Stacey Abrams maybe has her eyes on some higher office than, than that. We can, we, can, we can do another for on the radar president? off of that. Maybe. Maybe. Wait, she's also uh, got... She's also to lose... Someone like Stacey Abrams probably wants to be very careful about the next race she runs in or that she's represented in. But um, but the, the, the capper to this, I think, is that the Biden folks probably look at this very positively because that Georgia seat being open and the Senate being in play the way it is now favors Biden because he can say, I'm a moderate. I'm somebody who can bring on swing voters in a, in a purple state like Georgia. I think that that supports the Biden theory of the case better than any of the other candidates. All right. All right. That's on your radar. Joel Payne, Georgia. Georgia on your mind. That would have been like a good, you know, a good song. Never mind. I'm. 
Focus, Kevin Cirilli. Okay, Pedro DaCosta, Communications Director at the Economic Policy Institute. What's on your radar? So I'm going to stay in the same general geographic area. I'm just watching Hurricane Dorian oh, uh, as it so scary. Uh, appears to barrel toward the coast of Florida. You know, obviously primarily concerned about the people there and making sure, you know, hopefully that doesn't actually hit the coast. Uh, but from, you know, a kind of political perspective, this president has had a, a terrible capacity to politicize, you know, all kinds of issues that should just be human issues, including hurricanes. And, uh, and of course, this one was headed for Puerto Rico at one point, and there's all kinds of financial issues there. So I'm just watching to see how how he reacts to it. Uh, Democrats are already criticizing the administration for trying to, to, to take some money from FEMA to pay for the uh, detention facility centers where Ill immigrants who are here illegally are being housed. So there's already been a funding fight over that particular issue. I do just want to read some headlines regarding Hur Hurricane Dorian. From the Bloomberg Terminal, President Trump says he's canceled a trip to Poland this weekend because Hurricane Dorian is poised to strike Florida. He will send Vice President Mike Pence in his place. The storm is expected to strike Florida's east coast by Monday, delivering torrential rain and 130 mile per hour winds. Wow. Uh, the president has said, quote, the storm looks like it could be very it, the storm looks like it could be a very, very big one indeed. Uh, so Pence is going to be going to to uh, to Poland. And again, just just more on this hurricane. It, 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 it's absolutely it's category four. It could be a category four storm, Pedro, by the time it makes landfall on Monday. I'm I'm reporting from uh, CBS News there. So, yeah, that this storm, this storm could be a, a total a total nightmare. All right. You want notes on my radar? Yes, please. Yeah. James Comey. James Comey is back on my radar. Did you guys see this story? It is kind of a wild story. James Comey violated policies in handling memos that he wrote to document interactions with President Trump, according to the Justice Department watchdog, who also found that the former FBI director didn't disclose classified information. Okay. So remember the Comey memo that read like this? Read like a novel. I mean, it was so dramatic. You say what you want about James Comey. He's a great writer. I mean, it was it was really well detailed. And so that you can't do that if you're the FBI director. And and listen, I don't want to make this political. I don't know. I don't want the FBI after me. But like, even Hillary Clinton didn't like James Comey. There was a time when Hillary Clinton criticized James Comey, right, Joel? Well, and it's interesting that the IG essentially did to James Comey what James Comey did to Hillary Clinton was he said, you didn't break the law, but you broke the rules. Um, kind of the same type of idea. James Comey has turned out to be the perfect foil for Donald Trump. Everything that Trump has said about him, he has kind of fed into in sense of being this kind of bureaucrat, this political player inside a federal agency. I think... Comey has really not done himself any favors by becoming a political actor in the way that he has. So it is interesting, though, because years from now, they're, they're going to look at, I mean, because the FBI director's writing memos and releasing them. That now is well documented. That is that is a breach in FBI policy. Comey tweeted, quote, to all those who have spent two years talking about me going to jail or being a liar and a leaker, ask yourselves why you still trust people who gave you bad info for so long, including the president. President Trump tweeted, perhaps never in the history of our country has someone been more thoroughly disgraced and ex excoriated. 
than James Comey and just released Inspector General's report. He should be ashamed. Sounds of like a staff one. Definitely not Trump. It <laughs> wasn't Trump. I'm like, I don't even. Okay, anyway. All right, panel, thank you so much. That's what's on my radar. All right, thanks so much for being here. Uh, to Pedro DaCosta, the Pedro DaCosta, Director of Communications at the Economic Policy Institute, the Joel Payne, Democratic strategist, former director of African-American media outreach for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg business app. There are so many great podcasts on there, folks, by my colleagues, especially if you've got a long drive down to Rehoboth for the three-day weekend. Drive safe. You can find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg 991. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.